Hello, I'm Matt Peterson. And I'm Rich Trapier. And this is episode 16 of History on the Table. How are you, Rich? I'm doing pretty well, all things considered. Um, you know, I'm, you know, it's I, I would love to play some face-to-face games, uh, but it is the way it is. And I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm really happy that we've got Vassal going. Yeah, Vassal and Roll20 have been a uh, lifesaver. And then 18xx by uh, with with spreadsheets has also been a lifesaver. That's that's really all I've been doing is Roll20, Vassal, and spreadsheet 18xx. Yeah, I need to get into 18xx. Is that is that live or is that play by email? How do you do that? Yeah, it's play by chat. Uh, you just ping the next person when they're up, and it uses a uh, – they just transitioned sites. So – I don't think you can go look for a game. Like, I don't think there's a, like, join a game feature, but there's this deal called Board 18 where you right. can use the map um, in a web-based browser, and we just play by notifying each other when it's your turn. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, on, basically play by email. Yeah, Concept World Marketplace on Facebook. Someone had some 18xx games up there a week or two ago, and almost pulled the trigger on him but i thought yeah i'm probably not gonna get to play these so i shouldn't buy them hey my never seen moments of clarity <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i don't have many of those although it's funny is like uh he was uh you know looking ahead at our at our show notes for games on the shelf spoiler alert i don't i don't have anything i think if i really like strain my brain i've got 18 chesapeake which was a kickstarter that was delivered since our last episode but i I can't believe I haven't bought anything. Well, I think I bought enough month. for both of us. So, oh, good. Now, before <laughs> we start talking about games, I want to uh, give an update on Historic Fest. So, last time, right after we recorded, um, I edited out all my Historic Fest updates because everything kind of changed um, for a number of reasons. One, our date was like right on the tail end of canvas opening as is for full and then it just it wasn't going to work for the asl guys so uh, that was a big component i want to have so we've postponed till september 18th through 20th it's the same venue and if you've already registered your registration already carries over you don't need to tell me anything i sent an email out to everyone we're offering refunds basically through the end of august um and I think I haven't checked my email today because I've been under the weather. Uh, I think I got the link for the room block today. Oh, cool! I thought which yeah, it was my understanding you weren't going to hear from them until the hotel opened back up in July. Well, it was mid June for the events planner. The hotel itself doesn't open up till July, got but it. their their excuse for so we had two rates before. The king size rate was cheaper, and they've they've dropped that and they said well that's our busy time and it's like how in the hell could that possibly be a busy time for you <laughs> like you're not even open right now but what i didn't fight it very much i there's a lot of places to say nearby anyways so september 18th through 20th you can still go to our facebook group uh of course the website historic fest historic spelled historicacfest.com uh all the updates and we'll just continue to provide updates sometime in august we'll start planning games and stuff for individual sessions 
for things outside of the events we're doing. So new dates. Hope to see everyone there. So feel free to edit this out if you don't want to answer the question, but are all like the uh, the featured people that were going to be there, are they still going to be there or did anyone have to drop out? Um, I'm waiting to hear right now. I think yes. Um, so the ASL guys were talking last night or the night before just to confirm everything they wanted to continue to do, which is, I mean, that's their call. I mean, especially with things how they are now i mean this isn't really going away right um so uh, just waiting for final confirmation from them and we'll see cool. if if they don't come we'll still have some kind of asl events it's just um the guys themselves may not be there from the club we'll see but they're back to face-to-face gaming um i really? think next weekend yeah you it was limited to six people at their space um, so they play at Hollis Center, which is kind of like a retreat center out in KCK. And you had to book in advance, and it was limited to three games. I talked to Miniature Market about a week ago, and they said, nah, no, no updates from us. We're, we're not letting anybody play games here yet. Yeah, and then so I, I sent an update to the Kansas City Historical Gaming Group. Um, like, same thing. I mean, we're, one, we're at everyone's, the mercy of everyone's comfort, whether if they want to get together and play face-to-face. And then Tabletop, where we play, um, has basically said the same thing. I'm like, we're just going to, you know, play this all by ear. We don't have an update for when the game room won't be open. You can go in and shop now, uh, but the game room's close, which is fine. I get it. I mean, you're swapping. Board gaming is uh, a lot of touching of things back and forth in close proximity, so I completely understand. Yeah, the six foot rule is almost impossible to keep. So, yeah, you need to play like uh, back two <laughs> or something like that. Atlantic Wall. <laughs> yeah, right. And then then you can properly social distance. Or you could just play OCS, and you know, you take a turn while I'm out of the room, and I'll take yeah. a turn while you're out of the and room. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, perfect. Um, so that's Historic Fest. Hope to see everyone there. Um, and that's really all that's been going on. Uh, let's talk about some games that you added to the shelf because I don't really have any to report. Yeah, so I hit up that MMP sale. I'm sure you at least, if you didn't partake in it, you at least saw it. MMP was mm-hmm. putting some games on sale pretty cheap. Um, the big one they had was a, a GTS game, Grand Tactical Series, Operation Mercury, which is the invasion of Crete. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a sucker for naval invasions. So it's usually like 179 bucks, and they had it on sale for 40 So I was all over that. And then uh, a couple games that I probably wouldn't have picked up otherwise, but they were only 15 bucks each with Rock of the Marne and Panzer Battles, which are both SCS standard combat series games. Uh, the only SCS game I've got right now is Heights of Courage, so I know the system a little bit. Um, Rock of the Marne I thought was pretty interesting, though, because I can't, I can't think of any other World War I small-scale games. I, definitely none that I have. Um, so I'm actually looking forward to playing that one. I'm going to break that one out. Uh, probably not too long for now, sometime this summer. Yeah, that uh, that Operation Mercury, you're in for a treat. I've talked about GTS a little bit, and the, the three nights I played of it were really enjoyable. Yeah, I just, I yeah, just I'm looking to get forward back to, to that. Right now, my, uh, my little one's having her room painted, so all of her stuff is in my game room, so I don't really have access to my big table. So as soon as that gets cleared off, I'll be able to put something big up again. And then another game, some guy just randomly like uh, messaged me on on Geek Market. Uh, I mean, on uh, Board Game Geek, saying, "Hey, I saw you've got you know here 
games that you want in trade and are willing to trade and stuff like that. And I hadn't even, I didn't even thought about that. I usually, I, there was just stuff I checked. Yeah, sure. I'll take it in trade, but um, a game called bitter end, the attack on Budapest. It's a, it's a compass games, um, but it's, it's world war two um, late world war two in Hungary, which I'm interested in. Uh, so he had that for trade and he wanted fields of fire and I have tried Fields of Fire several times. I just never really quite got it. So I finally gave up on Fields of Fire, and I was like, yeah, sure, let's trade. So we shipped each other games, uh, sight unseen. I figured the worst that would happen is I would lose a game in the postage for a game <laughs> I probably wasn't going to pay anyway. And this guy was actually in Korea, so it took like a month for the game to get oh, to dang. me. Yeah, but hey, it, it, it arrived, and I haven't played it yet, but it looks pretty cool. I'm looking forward to it. Nice. Yeah, I don't blame you for trading Fields of Fire. Yeah. <laughs> and then another game I picked up is Thunder in the Ozarks, which I've played several times, but I didn't own until just recently. Um, and it's a it's a Civil War game. It's a Herman Lutman game, chip pull. It's the same. Uh, it's the Blind Sword system, which is the same as At Any Cost, Mets, which is a game that I love. Um, and, Fields of, and Thunder in the Ozarks I've played. Like I said, lots of times I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I just, I wanted to own it and it was, it's a, it's a bag game. So it was like 35 bucks. So I picked that one up too. Yeah. That's, I've got to get to that series. I know I've said that before, but yeah. I've, I've just been collecting the blind sword stuff, but have yet to get it to the table. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of good stuff on from revolution Yeah, and they're all fairly cheap. Those bad games. I mean, and what's nice is if you want to spring for like their more popular games, they they usually include a boxed edition. But from the handful of stuff I've played from Revolution, it's uh, usually it's pretty solid. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good system. Um, The map I'm not crazy about, but yeah, it's 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 functional. I've got uh, Washington's Crossing from them, which um, I've been. I abandoned my book that I was reading um, that to tie into that, the one uh, Jeff yeah. Vance had, had recommended. But uh, the reason I bring it up is in last month we talked about GCACW a whole lot. I've heard that Washington's Crossing described as Revolutionary War GCACW. Huh. Now you yeah. got my interest beat. Yeah, and it's a hell of a lot cheaper than a GCACW game. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah, I've got a, I've got a copy. It's another thing I need to to pull out. And then um, there's, uh, what's it called? I may still. Is that Revolution Games as well? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Washington's okay. Crossing is yeah. And then got there's it. a book called Washington's Crossing by David Fisher um, that I started and was really enjoying, and I need to get back to that. Uh, if you're familiar with Judd Bant's videos, which a lot of war gamers are, he recommends is like a book to go hand in hand with that. And so far from what I saw in that book, I would I would say so too. But like I said, I'm not done with it. Cool. Love to check it out. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, talking about other books, I've been reading 30 Years War by C.V. Wedgwood. Um, when researching 30 Years War books, this was kind of like the go-to recommendation it it popped up a whole lot and i see why it's a really it's a pretty solid approach um i get a lot of the uh sometimes i get the players mixed up just because the 30 years war is already so bonkers with um how many different interested parties and individuals 
and uh, like I don't know if it's the right if Prince is the right word for uh, like German. Uh, now I don't remember, but anyways, um, it's it's really well written. I'm really enjoying it on audiobook. It's a solid listen. Uh, but I've been kind of on this thirty years war kick because I somewhere someone was talking about a 30 years war game and i was like damn i don't actually know much about the 30 years war at all so i i dove in here and then next week i'll be playing uh starting gmt's 30 years war board game as well yeah 30 years war is kind of a a hole in my uh history knowledge as well i i know very little about it so a lot of times uh i'll I'll pick up the book first and then if it's it's interesting I'll, i'll go to the game second but sometimes i'll get the game first and then I'll, I'll want to read the book to go with the game. And it really helps if you know the geography of where the battles took place and stuff like that as well. So sure. that's, that's where I think it's, they fit well together. I'm finding that a lot. Um, another place that um, uh, sort of another hole in my historical knowledge is actually World War II North Africa. Um, so I've, I've been trying to pick up some stuff there. I've got Tunisia II. I've got Brazen Chariots. They're both on my soon-to-be-played list. But as I look at the maps and as I, I read, a, a, you know, some stuff about some of the battles, so many of the places I literally know nothing about, like the major yep. cities I know about. But, you know, there's tons of places out in the middle of the desert that I never heard of. So when you listen to a book or, or read a book, a lot of times if you don't have that map or that knowledge from the game handy, it doesn't really make sense to you. Yeah. I mean, if you go if you go way back to, to episode one where I. I talked about my ambitions and quickly realized it was a unattainable goal. My <laughs> original goal with this podcast was to read something fairly comprehensive on a war game I'm playing and then use that because I think that's that's exactly what spawned this podcast is I'd be playing a war game and like I actually don't know diddly shit about this battle. Um I mean I could tell you little bits and facts about Antietam and I knew a general bit about it but i didn't know the details and that's actually the battle that kind of spawned it all but you're exactly right and then that's funny north africa world war ii is the exact same i went down a rabbit hole of buying some north africa stuff and same deal like there's an area of world war ii that i don't know the specific specifics of of course i know the general stuff um but i haven't read a lot of stuff about world war ii north africa and so if i went to go play a specific battle from you know, a game that covered just a specific engagement in World War II North Africa, I think some of the effect would be lost because I didn't know about yeah. it. I mean, it's a cool hobby that we have that you can do that where you can go read something and get that much more of an appreciation about the, the battle. Yeah, Google Maps is great, too. A lot of times yeah, there you go. Google Maps <laughs> and just look it up and like, oh, that's where that is. And a lot of times, especially like if you're in North Africa or something, um, you know, you're reading a map from a game that's in English and yeah, it may be like a transliteration of something in Arabic or something, but most of the time you can figure it out. That was Thirty Years War is what uh, sent us down that rabbit hole. Uh, pretty good book <laughs> if you're looking like like I said. It's uh, I'm not done with it. I'm probably seventy five percent done, but I've enjoyed it. Um, and I would say if you're looking for a Thirty Years War, like broad, fairly broad, um, overlook, uh, give it a shot. It's a little bit dry, but um, the audiobook narration is pretty good. It's about five hundred pages. I don't know how many probably 30 hours or something on the audiobook or something like that cool uh what about you rich have you read anything 
Yeah, a couple weeks ago uh, was D-Day anniversary, so mm-hmm. I wanted a D-Day book, and I found one called Soldier, Sailor, Frogman, Spy, Airman, Gangster, Kill, or Die, which sounds wow. crazy. Um, but it's by Giles Milton, and it was really good. It was it was very entertaining. I mean, it wasn't like super deep or anything. It was mostly like vignettes, um, little stories about all the different people that were involved in D-Day, both sides mm. of the war. Um, and it was things like, you know, this is, you know, Frogman. This, these are the guys that were, you know, looking for mines and trying to disarm mines. These are the guys that went up two weeks before to take pictures of the German fortifications. There was stuff about the German soldiers and the German generals and the, the French civilians. And there was just a little bit about everyone. Um, and, you know, it kind of talked a little bit about the weeks and months leading up to D-Day, but most of the book actually covered basically the 24 hours of D-Day. Um, and it was just, it was, it was a quick read. It wasn't super in-depth or anything, but it was just, it was, it was a very fun read. I enjoyed it quite a bit. So good. And then I've been getting kind of on a Pacific kick lately that we'll talk a little bit about later. Um, I think I'm going to do some Pacific stuff before I jump back to North Africa. Um, but I started rereading or picked up where I left off a couple months ago, Fire and Fortitude by John McManus. So Fire and Fortitude is a, uh, a book about the Army's contribution uh, to the Pacific War and World War II, which is pretty cool because you think of it as a Naval and Marine Corps thing. Um, this book is specifically about the Army. So it's pretty good. I'm about halfway through it. Um, I, I read it for a while last year, and I think I stopped reading it when I picked up Atlanta as ours. So now that I'm done with Atlanta as ours, or well, that's the game. Sorry, the book was called Decision in the West. Um but yeah, now I'm jumping back into Fire and Fortitude. So, good, nice, good book, very well written. Good. All right, uh, I'm gonna save like the fantasy books that sometimes we talk about for our uh, shenanigans at the end of the episode. <laughs> um, let's talk about what we've been playing. Uh, so you mentioned D Day uh, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And that's funny is uh, one morning, uh, just on like a thread or something like that, someone was like, what are you playing for D-Day? I was like, oh, that would have made a lot of sense to play um, some kind of anniversary game f- of for D-Day. But no, uh, you and I played Here I Stand all day. We did. That counts. I think uh, I think England invaded France in that game, didn't they? <laughs> they certainly did. Um, <laughs> so we played with six people. We started at 10 a.m., central and ran until 6 six thirty. does that sound right maybe seven thirty. i had an rpg afterwards and i think we stopped about an hour and a half before so probably seven thirty, without yeah. without breaks like some people are like hey i'll be back in five minutes or whatever uh but we didn't take like a all right everyone break for our lunch we knocked out a a game but let me back up a little bit here i stand is a um the war of the reformation Right, it's from GMT Games, and it's unique in the fact that it is a six-player game, and all six powers feel fairly different. I don't know how different like England and France uh, feel. I haven't played they're, them. They're pretty different because France, you know, France is going to get victory points from building chateaus, and England obviously has the the, the marriage thing going on. Oh, that's right. Think yeah, England. The ability to declare war in the middle of the round is hard to play against. <laughs> yeah, so everyone's got these unique... You're right now you mentioned that. Um, 
everyone is a unique power with their own set of rules, their own victory conditions. Um, I mean, victory points, but different ways to earn victory points. Um, it's a card driven game. You can either play a card for the events or you can play the card for ops points. And what's interesting is each power can use ops points in different ways. So for example, the, the Protestants, um, not the Protestants, uh, yeah, the, the Protestants, um, they can only use ops points really for like advancing translation of the Bible or, um, Reformation attempts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Spreading the good word. Right. Right. It is really what their ops points are for most of the game until certain event triggers. And so they have a limited things that they can do. Whereas it's okay. Uh, I lost power for a brief <laughs> second. So we were talking about here. I stand, uh, which you and I and four other players sat down and played. And like I was saying, each power is different and each power has different abilities that they can actually spend ops points on instead of just having uniform things across the board. So it's pretty interesting that each, each power has its own flavor. I was really impressed with this game. I think I've, I've come down off my high a little bit. Um, but there was, I love a game where you, uh, I always, I compare it to Gaia project, which is this Euro game where you're just doing so much planning. Like, you know, the resources you have available for you on your turn. And so where you just get time to sit there and think, this is how I'm going to allocate my resources. And so I really like that. And here I stand, um, just, okay, here's the cards I have. Here's what I'm going to be able to do. And this is what I need to do it. It's not, uh, I mean, obviously you can do that in all kinds of other war games, but this has a more, I don't know, not a more Euro feel. It just, the planning seemed more enjoyable. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Unless you're fighting against England or someone draws a specific card against you, they're not going to be able to declare war in the middle of the turn. So if you're not at war, you can kind of make plans. If you are at war, then obviously those plans can get changed. Oh, yeah. People can definitely interfere with your pan plans. I mean, the Pope was constantly messing with my plans. But I like that I could look at the board and say, okay, I need to and want to convert this, this, this hex to Protestantism. And then I want to do this sex. I want to do this thing here. And here's how I'm going to work through my cards to make sure I can be able to do all of those things. Um, it was a really enjoyable game. It came down to, I felt like throughout that game, just about everyone was in a prime position to win and got knocked down. And a lot of people almost came right back up to winning. Um, it came down from everyone having to team up to stop France from winning. And basically I just held like I had some cards to let me draw more things. I just basically did as little as possible until I knew that England was committed to stopping France because like you said, England has this card that lets them declare war in the middle of the turn. And so once England was committed to France, I knew they couldn't declare war on me. And so then I went for the win and ended up, uh, once everyone was so committed to stopping France, I was able to capture the last few points to win although the pope almost blocked it right there at the end i had to retake one more uh province but uh i had a lot of <laughs> die roll modifiers to get it back yeah that game's always fun i love it yeah that's that's in your top 10 games of all time right oh yeah definitely it's that's 
that's that's my favorite way to spend a Saturday. But like you said, it is. I mean, it, it's great. It's amazing. But I couldn't do that every Saturday. Sure. I mean, even if I had the time, it's 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 a in a way it's emotionally draining just because it's you get so into it and everything. But it's I love it. I do almost always have a game of it going on uh, play by email though. So nice. Get my fix. It's got the same, my big complaint, or one of my big complaints with coin is the gang up on the leader, right? Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's it's a little bit bigger issue in coin because your your own teammate is will gang up on you to prevent you from winning. But this is dogpile on the leader to the extreme. And yeah. so, like one of the other players said, it's all about those diplomatic negotiations and maneuvering the other players to put them in a position to not be able to stop you. And yep. that was, that was my, my plan on the final turn is, okay, I have a window to try and win here and I'm just going to make sure the other players commit to do something else. So I can't be ganged up on. And so if, if you don't like that kind of thing, I don't think you'll, that's going to be a big turnoff for you in this game. Um, but I was able to look past it. Normally I don't like those things. And when someone pointed that out, I was like, you're exactly right. You need to be able to maneuver your way around the, the dog pile on the leader. Yep. And, and then other than um, Axis Empires, which we're going to talk about, and then a whole bunch of RPGs, I haven't been playing a whole lot um i've been diving back into the next war rules and then i need to start the 30 years war rules for for next week but i haven't i haven't had anything on the digital table yeah we've got next war coming up uh when when original historic fest was going to be we're gonna we're gonna play some next war next saturday right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah so i'm looking forward to that as well yeah i haven't um I haven't been going deep into anything, but I have been playing a little bit of a few things. So um, we did, I have been playing Atlanta's ours quite a bit lately. And then uh, my friend and I, we just, we got to a point where we're like, hey, let's let's switch it up. Let's try Roads to Gettysburg just so we can play a different game in the system. And we only played one night of that. And now he's going to be off for a few weeks. Um, but it's kind of cool to see a different game in the system. Um, it's you know, obviously the system is the same, but there are enough differences that it feels very different. Road to Gettysburg is, it feels more sandboxy than Atlanta's ours. Atlanta's ours, you know, it's, it's Sherman driving toward Atlanta and you have one goal. It doesn't matter which scenario you're playing. Uh, the only difference is going to be whether this particular scenario gets you a third of the way or half of the way, a fourth of the way to the goal, whatever. You, that goal is always Atlanta. Um, Gettysburg is ours is, I mean, our Rosie Gettysburg is wide open. Um, and in our particular game, I don't know that we're even going to fight at Gettysburg. Um, it's, it's a natural crossing point right in the middle of the map and everything, but we almost had a huge knockdown drag out at Frederick, I think, um, Frederick, Maryland. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Uh, the union player, um, gets reinforcements later. So, a little bit of uh, you know luck of the draws when your reinforcements come on. If they come on early, you're going to have quite a hammer to hit them with. But if they come on late, um, you know he's going to be running around actually levying towns, which is I guess a nice word for looting. <laughs> so, so is Gettysburg not enough? Like, so when 
when the AAC guys talks about Road to Gettysburg, I thought they made Gettysburg, and I haven't looked at the campaign rules. I thought they made Gettysburg enough points where you had to take Gettysburg. Is that is that not the case? Did I misunderstand that? Actually, that's not the case at all. Uh, okay. Most of okay. the points are so on the on the map. If you look in the map, Baltimore per se is not on the map. It's just off the lower right hand corner of it, and then the lower right hand corner is kind of the outskirts of Baltimore. Um, but the closer you get to Baltimore, the more points you get. And Gettysburg is pretty much dead center. So there's basically two routes that you can take as the Confederates. You can sort of go on a, a northward looping on the road, and you can just levy every one of those towns on the way. Um, and those will get you a few victory points. But if you want the big victory points, you really have to go down toward Baltimore. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. And then I did play a D-Day game. I played Liberty Roads a little bit. Um, I got to play that game. Yeah. I, I wasn't crazy about it. I mean, there was nothing wrong with it. I like it. It's it's beautiful. I love the counters. That It looks nice. It's got some cool stuff in it. You know, the CRT has like a double result, a tactical result, and a strategic re- I don't remember what it's called. But like one is for losses, one is for retreats, and it can go either way. So... It's got some interesting stuff in it, but overall, I just, I don't know. I think I wanted something more close in for D-Day. I mean, literally D-Day was like three die rolls. You know, I'm going to hit this beach, this beach, this beach, roll the dice three times, and D-Day's over. So um, if you're looking for a game where you're invading France and into Germany, I think it's, it's got potential and promise. It's... I don't think I'm going to be crazy about it either way, even though I might enjoy hmm. it. But I was looking for something D-Day specific, and that wasn't it. So I was a little disappointed, but maybe it's because I just it wasn't what I wanted that day. Yeah, a lot of people are really hot on that game. And I think what's interesting is that game has a D-Day scenario. So you would think that it would offer a more... Because that's the same deal with... Um, yeah. Normandy 44, right? Is I would never recommend that as a D-Day game to someone. Right. Yeah, so um, so here's here's the entirety of D-Day in that game. You get three paradrops, um, which you're going to put maybe probably next to your D-Day hexes. Um, and each one of those is going to get a single die roll. And then you pick three beaches that you're going to land on. Each one of those is going to get a single die roll unless you don't knock them off the beach the first time, in which case you're basically going to repeat rounds of combat until one side is destroyed. That's D-Day. Now, what, That's it. Was, were those the D-Day rules for the campaign scenario, or were those the D-Day rules in the D-Day scenario itself? Well, the, the D-Day scenario is just, like, the D-Day part of the campaign scenario, really. I huh. actually, okay. I played Liberty Roads before, and I didn't play D-Day. I played Operation Cobra, which is kind of uh-huh. cool, because it's, it's got a smaller, maybe like 11 by 17 or something map, but instead of the big map, you just play a small map of northern France. And I actually enjoyed that a lot more. I liked the Cobra part better than the D-Day part. The one cool thing about Liberty Roads, which I I did not mess with, though, is you have total freedom to land wherever you want. You can land in southern France if you want to. You can land on the other side of the peninsula. Literally anywhere you want, you can land there. So that's kind of cool. But even so, it's still just going to be like three die, die rolls. So... 
And then right now, I've, I'm really just kind of pushing around counters right now, but I'm going to start playing it with a friend a week from tonight, uh, Empire of the Sun, which is another game I've had for a long time. I've looked at the rules. I've gotten it out several times. Um, never really got into it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into it now. So looking forward to playing that. Yeah, there's another one that I just have got to play. Absolutely. Both of those games are on... High up on my uh, must-play pile of shame. Yeah, and I'll get to them eventually. Yeah, I was in U.S. Civil War for a while, and now I think I'm transitioning back to World War II for a while. Hey, that's all right. They're both uh, they're both fantastic uh, things to plan. So it's good. Oh yeah. Um. Okay. Any anything else on the table? Uh, that's it for now. The I virtual, mean, like I said, table. next up, it's probably gonna. I'm gonna play Pacific for a while, and then maybe jump into North Africa. So. I've kind of looked at the rules for trying to decide whether I want to go BCS or OCS first. I've got Brazen mm. Chariots and I've got Tunisia 2. One of those is going to be next, but I'm not sure which one yet. Uh, so I really want to dive back into BCS. Yeah. Here's what I'll what I'll tell you, and you may have heard this. The OCS rules are as written are 10 times better than the BCS rules as written. Now, OCS has the advantage of being on version 4, but man, some of that the BCS stuff works in, in practice, but I really struggled with the BCS rules. Like how they define things and how they organize the rule book was a big hurdle to overcome for me. Yeah. So if you're if you're playing BCS with someone who knows it, I'd go for it. If you're both beginning, I think OCS may be the better one to start with. Yeah. I don't know. Or I've, or both. I've Do whichever one you want. Sets but. Of rules and I totally agree with you. I think the OCS rules are really well written. They are. They they are. And, and it on works top nice. Of that, Hungarian Rhapsody is going to be out soon, so that's another yeah. reason to jump into OCS. Yeah, I don't think you'll go wrong with either. I picked up last Blitzkrieg, uh, I think at the tail end of last year, and I really, I really want to get back into that because I, I actually don't have many bulge games at all. So, um, everyone else complains about too many, yeah. but that's kind you of haven't played Arden Forty Four, have you? No, I have it, but I okay. have not played it. All right. Uh, okay, well, let's dive into our featured game. We've talked about it, uh, or I've talked about it a few times because it's been, um, I started with a big in-person game and then coronavirus happened and we switched to a Axis Empires Dicenso game and then we started a three-player game of Axis Empires. This is the game where the German player has uh, conquered England. Um, <laughs> the The plan after this game, as this was kind of a learning game for really for all of us two of us had already been playing and then the third guy this was his first time we plan on doing the combined game so you can combine axis empires to Tower krieg with axis empires dyson so um this game's made by decision games um i think it's undergone a few different revisions the most i think this is the 2011 game there's a 2022 probably at this point version coming out that's on sale you can pre-order for uh, 200 bucks it may be 2021 but i mean who knows at this point and so and the reprint is, is going to be combined right both of them together yes okay. it's i think i think you can still separate them out like play just to tower creek and disenso but you're getting both games in one box got it and then also it's it's going to change the the air and naval rules are really abstracted out in this and we'll talk about that but I think it adds optional, so they're not mandatory, so it's not changing anything that you've gotten used to, um, detailed air and naval rules. 
so the good news is if, if you like this review and the game sounds interesting to you, hopefully in the next year you'll be able to pick up a copy of Axis Empires um, either version for the cheap and then see if you like it if you want to commit to the uh, the new version. I was hoping I didn't like this game, um, but it's turned out to be a really a really fun game. I don't I don't know if I'm going to buy the new edition. Um, I'm just going to give it some more thought. But I, I ended up picking this up like in a trade. I accidentally left a Kickstarter going for, um, I don't know, one of Compass's weird Kickstarters. And I was like, I'm never going to play this. And so I was able to swap it. I'm, I'm glad I did. Uh, so let's talk about the game a little bit. It's designed by Alan Emmerich. And then Thomas Prowl and Salvatore Vasta are listed as the designers too. The name Alan Alan Emmerich is the name I hear more often. I'm not sure uh, what the relationship was there. Um, this is a grand strategic World War II game that that basically gives you a sandbox to play in and covers everything from you start in 1936 and you go. Um, I think cap is like 1948 or 1949 or something like that i think it's 48 um and it's card driven for a lot of things but then there's also your standard movement and combat phase so tell me about the cards because that's totally different from the cards are huge in europe which is kind of what i would compare this to so the game is divided into different seasons and your card is going to last all seasons. So if you play a card for summer, um, you're going to have that card for three turns and that card is going to provide reinforcements. Um, it's going to have you roll on tables, which is another huge part of this game is constantly referencing these tables and rolling on them. Um, it's going to give you, blitz markers and it's going to pave the way for future cards so this whole game is built around this you plant you put a card out and you're going to get the effects of those cards for the next two or three turns depending on which season you played it in now each card usually has some there's a section called the option card and those only trigger at the very beginning of the season um, so maybe some kind of special event or like the U.S. gets when the U.S. comes in, they get a massive amount of units added to their force pool. And that only happens the very first time you run through the steps of that card. And then there may be some other sections of the card that trigger every turn of the season. And what's interesting is and I've kind of talked about this before is how mechanical this game is and it, it, it really makes it a lot easier to learn. So let's say you're like, I want to get a tank on the map, you know, a tank army on the map somewhere. Well, you need to have a tank marker in your force pool to be able to do that. And you need to have a card giving you a armor replacement step to bring it from your force pool onto the map. So there's no like, it seems like a lot where you have this replacement segment and there's all these rules about where can you place your seg, where can you place replacements and all these things. And it just seems like a lot up front. But if you, if you just stop and take it step by step and like, okay, I really actually don't have to worry about logistic markers or, um, not logistic markers, I'm thinking like uh, like detachment markers or fortress markers, if you don't actually have any markers to worry about. So you can just kind of focus on what you have 
in your force pool or what your card is giving you. So if you only have eight infantry steps in your force pool, you don't really need to worry about cards or rules that apply to Air Force or Naval at this time until they really become a factor. Now, so do you understand draw those... a hand of cards and then you can discard stuff that's not going to be a bit useful to you or what? No, you have... So there's three phases. There's pre-war, limited war, and total war. And during those phases, you have access to um, those phase cards. So all you have all of your pre-war cards to start. You okay. can pick any of them. Um, and usually, like, the German player for the first several turns is almost kind of like there's really a path for you to take to kind of build up like card two leads to card three, which leads to card four. But then once things really start to get going, you really get like, you can start picking a lot of different options. Um, and those cards can have future ramifications as well. Um, so like one card may say, all right, you play this card, but you're going to have to get up, give up some kind of advanced technology in the down the road or like the Russians have these weird cards like where, okay, you're going to pick this card, but you're going to have to purge the military in 1940 or something. Like eventually you're going to have to play this purge military card to get access to these better cards. It's, it's really interesting. And the, this whole card dynamic is the heart and soul of this game. And I don't know if I've done an adequate job of describing it, but, um, I really want to reiterate that the rules, there's a whole lot of rules, but if you just understand, um, there's a lot that if you just understand the sequence of play and that you really just need to focus on actually what's in front of you and not worry about, um, your, your total war cards and all the advanced things are going to add to the game. Um, you'll be okay. There's some really great scenarios that just like, Okay, here's a scenario to just learn movement and combat, which are actually pretty straightforward, okay? And then here's a scenario where you can learn about placing air uh, support markers, which include aircraft and uh, ships and submarines and those types of things. Um, and so the game, if you go scenario by scenario, does a really great job of holding your hand. Um, we did one of the starter scenarios to get to kind of get going to learn the game. I wanted to go through the other ones, but I just ran out of time, and then we dove in. Um and I'm glad that our face-to-face -face game was kind of like a trial run before getting canceled for COVID because then there were things that I learned going into Dicenso and now our three-player game in Totaler Krieg that I learned and wanted to correct from that game. And then there's a whole bunch of mistakes I want to correct when I go into our combined game. Um, so a whole lot going on. It's really intimidating, but the game makes it very easy to learn with just how mechanical it is. Just go step by step, read this part of the card and do it. Okay. Now go on to the next administrative phase. Okay. Go step by step, run your political events, which again, you're usually just rolling on tables. Okay. Now place your support markers, place your planes out there or pretty much give me the support markers you start with. If you want to get a, um, a column shift on the combat results table. Okay. Now, go to your organization segment which is where you make your armies like you combine two one stacks to make it a two stack unit which is a lot better and just just take it in that approach and you, which is how you need to take it anyways and you're going to be i think surprised with how uh how smooth the game flows and how uh how much it actually holds your hand to learn the game Mecha uh combat itself is really straightforward um, 
this game shines more in all the political shenanigans and planning that you're doing. Um, so it's got some really cool things like you can bring in partnership company or countries like Germany can bring Italy in as a partner country as well, which gets out a whole bunch more units or Germany can instead make Turkey their partnership company or country. Gosh, I keep wanting to say company. Um, but as each power you're spreading influence around Europe or if you're playing the combined game or if you're doing Dicenso in the Pacific to bring these countries in on your side. So we've had wacky things happen in our face-to-face game. Poland joined was a minor country with Germany um, and France and Russia entered into a truce. So it was just England against Germany and England would go trigger like Hungary, not send any support to Hungary. And then Germany would just roll over Hungary and conquer Hungary. Um, in Dicenso, I gave the Philippines their independence on like turn two. A large reason was I didn't actually understand what I was doing at the time, <laughs> but, uh, the Philippines got their independence right away. And then at this point now, Japan has come in and made the Philippines a Japanese minor country. And so all this wacky stuff is happening. Um, like Spain's Spain's in, in world war two right now. And our gosh, our totaler Creed game of three players is just a shit show. Germany has basically every single country on their side, except for, uh, Portugal and one of the, one of those European countries over there, like Romania or something like that. And so that's, that's where the game really shines too, is you kind of, it's not set in stone that Italy is going to join with Germany and be this major factor. It could be Spain. It could be Turkey. And there's some other options. Um, you know, France will likely fall, but it's not guaranteed that France will fall. And so it's this really cool sandbox where sides can really kind of go whichever way you want. And what's I think what's interesting in the upcoming game is I think they're expanding that sandbox. Like you can even start earlier or play different what-if scenarios and I think even continue it into the future. So I think they're like you're getting even more of a sandbox to shape this world and play around in. That's where this game shines. Combat really isn't its strong strong suit but at this level you're not going to have you know advanced and detailed combat that you're going to find in games that are zoomed in more right yeah and that makes sense i mean where you've got you've got a major operation that's it's going to come down to a die roll so but with modifiers and you set up to give yourself advantages and all that but so a couple questions first of all um how many powers or factions is it just Russia, the West, and the Axis, or how's that work? Yep. Um, so it's in Totaler Creek, which is really the game I'm focusing on for purposes of ranking it on the list because it's the game I spent a lot more time on than Dicenso. Um, so you have the West, Soviets, and Germany. And then if you want to do two player, you combine Russia and uh, the West, but they still have their own. Sure. deck of cards they still do their own stuff completely okay and then i i know you want to focus on the, the european side but does does dicenso and Tataler Krieg does it feel like two games or does it feel like one game because there's a big difference between european land war and the pacific war you know what i mean um right and so that's that's probably my biggest complaint with this game is when you when you're playing Totaler Krieg, the abstract air and naval stuff, it it works. 
But then when I go play Dicenso, yeah, it's like I want to do more with the boats and stuff. I want to be pushing a carrier fleet around the Pacific, um, and so it feels like one game. It just feels like. Um, so to answer your question, I do. They do feel exactly like the same game, um, which I think kind of hurts Dicenso a little bit. Especially mm. if if you were going to go play a three player Dicenso game, I would warn you against it because Russia really isn't doing anything in that game. I mean, they kind of yeah, they kind of can build up happened. right, and then they have to actually measure like how many good cards they play, or it's an automatic victory for the Japanese to kind of measure like, okay, Russia's now way too committed in the east, and so they lose in the west. Now, if you were going to combine that, I think that's a more interesting. It's not necessarily an automatic thing, in that um, you're going to shift that a little bit, and you're probably going to be focused on the west anyways. Um, Dicenso is still plenty good, but I really do want a more active. I'll be curious to see what those new naval rules are, because in this game you just kind of put your naval ships out in a a box, and then they um, either provide some kind of support or like you can put them in a strategic box to when a troop dies if it has a stripe it goes to the to the delay box. Uh, and you just roll at the end of the turn to see how many turns in the future it comes back. You can put like submarines in the strategic box to delay when those units come back. So it's not a really, uh, it's really abstracted, which hurts Dyson. So I think. Yeah. But it it's not that big a deal on um, uh, on Totaler Creek. So. So a turn is a month. A turn is like two months, I think, months. or something okay. like that. How long does it take to play a turn? Um, I think it depends, and I think it depends on what part of the yeah. game you're in. And also, like, my turn in Totaler Krieg right now is 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, Germany turns are a lot longer, and usually I uh, just kind of zone out because, I mean, there's just so much stuff for them to move and do right now. Um, we probably get through a few turns a night. We could probably go faster. Um, but like I said, it's a learning game. We move at a pretty slow pace in that game. Um, I'm probably leaving stuff out. Um, there's all kinds of like political events tables that you can trigger through card play or one political event will lead to another table which leads to another table which leads to another table and then you roll after like bouncing around four tables then you finally get a no result like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that'll happen a lot um, it's good the the card play and the the sandbox is, is the good stuff about this game the combat is kind of weak and then you can get like so one thing that kind of pissed me off about the game, and it was just probably a lack of understanding of the combat rules, is I committed everything I had from England and France and was geared up to kind of go on the offensive and had a pretty good, it was no Maginot line, but I had a pretty good um, wall on the inside of France. And like by manipulating where he placed his planes, that was able to mess with my retreat so instead of like just retreating backwards towards paris because there was a plane back there the whole army had to retreat to the south instead which allowed him to punch a hole in it it's like okay well realistically i don't know if 
that would have that effect, but maybe maybe it would. It was a really disappointing defense, uh, is what I'll say. Because mm. I was like, oh man, there's no way he's breaking through this. And then you just caused a retreat result, and because you were able to place a plane back there, I'm hightailing it in the wrong direction. Now there's a gaping hole. The combat results table is pretty straightforward as well. The results are never very exciting. I'll tell you that. Like, you you gear up this big combat, and then like even if it's like three to one, it's like usually a retreat, and most of the time you're not even taking a loss. Um, so it's kind of it's a little anticlimactic, but I do really like the other parts of the game. How about uh? So you talked about the cards and forces with and deployment what about actually production decisions do you make those or do you just have like a reinforcement table that's set no you it's all based off the cards so like um so the troop um production is kind of two steps based off the cards the card will say add xyz to your force pool and then another card or the same card will later on say take two infantry replacements, take two armor replacements. Adding them to your force pool is what you actually, you go get your counters out of the counter tray and bring them into your card to make them eligible to be in the game. Replacements take them from your card and put them on the map. And so it's your cards that you're picking of when do they actually even become able for you to move from the card and put on the map. Cool. And then, like, I, I talked about combinations, like building up a two-step unit. Let's say you want to build up into a three-step armor, uh, like a, a combined armor infantry unit. Like, you can't, you don't even really have to worry about that until you actually have brought that unit into your force pool. And so, again, it seems daunting, but really you don't have to worry about that until you can even do it. Uh, any other questions about the game? Uh, how are the components? I know looking at some of the pictures, it, it looks kind of like an old Avalon Hill game. Uh, no, I like them. Do you? Um, yeah. I mean, the, the counters and stuff stuff are nice. Um, the cards are nice. Um, what's really nice is each counter has a number in the top left, and it associates to the card. So if, like, in our face-to-face game, Rex did meticulously organized his trays by card. So if you play card 33 as the Americans, and that brings in 20 infantry steps and 10 armor steps and these planes and these aircraft carriers and these troop transports, you just go and they're all, all of those counters are, even though those infantry steps are generic infantry steps, it's organized in a way that you just go find those stack of units from that card. And it's really nice. That's cool. Yeah. It's uh once you if you take the time to organize it that way, it really uh helps the game out. And that's how the vassal stuff's organized too. And and then I oh go ahead. So it's it uh is it a two mapper for Europe? Uh is it like the size yes. of like right. a double GMT map? Like what's that? So, like twenty two by thirty four or something like that? It's it almost fits on one folding table. The deal, it's got like a, it's too wide um, for one folding table, but it is two maps. I don't know what the size is. I have it up. It's two 22 by 34 inch maps. Yeah, that's what I figured. And then just going back to the card play, like you have 
let's say you have 20 cards open to you and you really have no idea what to do, the cards will tell you, okay, this card was played, quote-unquote, in April 1937, or this card was discarded in spring <laughs> 1939. So, like, if you wanted to, you could take the historical path if you really don't have an like, if you wanted to get going and just kind of use that to go along. Um, but you also don't have to follow that path. There's plenty of different cards, and you can play them in whatever order you want. Critiques about the game other than, like, combat not being very exciting and... I mean, the, the aircraft stuff isn't really a complaint on the Total Creek side. It's just abstracted, and if you want more in your grand strategic game with, like, planes and boats, you're not going to get a lot here. The rules are a whole lot um, at first glance, but you'll quickly learn, like, the first half of the rule book is what you need to kind of read and, and learn about. Um, and then the back half, and they talk about this, is all about looking things up. So all the political events are described in the back half. So if you sure. get a card so like that when says... When Hungary right. falls, you go to that section and you do yep. these things. Right. Yeah. Okay. When you get the military aid event, you go to 15.21 and you go look up military aid and it tells you what to do. Yeah. And you don't you don't need to read that stuff and have it memorized. It's just when it comes up, you go look it up and do that. And it works. What else don't you like about it? Um, nothing. I mean, I guess like no, I I can't really think of any other complaints. It's it's a really solid, solid game, um, and it's I would really want to try the combined game. Um, you know, I haven't played any other World War Two Grand Strategic other than um, uh, the Compass um, f- f- Festung. Europa is that what it's called it's the um... yeah 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 I really want to play this sometime mostly just because I want to compare it to unconditional start to Europe you know Sal Vasta right. is the designer of that game so um he is a designer oh, I didn't realize that. yeah yeah so I can with the exception of the cards I can see a lot of similarities even similarities like you know, the naval stuff is very abstracted and I mean in unconditional surrender Europe the naval stuff is Really, honestly, it's mostly there just to run supplies. Um, and it really comes into play. That's a lot of the naval stuff here, too. Yeah, comes into play more in North Africa, but it almost gets in the way more than it helps. So, so it comes into play where? North Africa. Hmm. Uh, so, I don't know if I have a whole lot to say about the game. At some point, I'll also rank Dyson. So, again, I'm not... When we were at the heat of playing and I was riding that high, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get the expanded edition. <laughs> um, but I'm a little like, I don't know if I – like, I'm really looking forward to a combined game, but I don't know how often I would play this. Um, I mean, it is a big sandbox, and there's a lot of things I want to do different, but also it's like, eh, I'm kind of ready to move on to something else. Yeah. $200 is a lot. And that's I mean, the you're pre-order getting... price. It'll be even more after that. Yeah, it's 300 Do I think it's worth 200 bucks? Probably. There's probably $200 worth of game in that box, especially with the new stuff that's coming. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to make a decision. But... Uh, it's out there for anyone else considering it. Uh, okay. Uh, as far as recommended reading go, just 
your pick your whatever preferred World War Two uh, book you want to go that just covers the whole thing. I I really like Anthony Beaver's um, Anthony Beaver's. Um, I think it's just called World War Two. Um, that's a really solid book that covers the whole story of World War Two. Oh no, it's called the Second World War. Sorry. Uh, really enjoyed that one. I'm sure you could rattle off as many as you wanted that just cover all of World War II. Uh, I guess we should rank it. Okay, this is going to sound crazy, but I'm looking like... I mean, because I'm a fan of this game. I'm looking as low as like number 12, which is SPQR. I keep looking at SPQR thinking I need to play that one. <laughs> so below No Ready 44, huh? Because you were just saying how, mm. well, well, No Ready 44, you weren't saying you didn't like, you were saying that you didn't like it as a D-Day game. Right, I would never say play this if you want to play a D-Day game, because that is, the D-Day game is the opening segment of that game to place troops. There's no strategy involved in D-Day in that game at all. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely below Blitzkrieg Legend which is uh, German Invasion of France, OCS. Mm-hmm. So is, is it in, so uh, 10 is Blitzkrieg Legend, 11 is Normandy 44, 12 is SPQR, 13 is Operation Pegasus, 14 is 1754. It's definitely better than 1754, and I, I don't think it's as good as Blitzkrieg Legend. Um, so then is it as good as Normandy 44, or is it, I would probably rather play this than SPQR. I, I've talked about this before. I've got this weird deal with SPQR where I, when I'm not playing it, I'm like, ugh, that game. But then when I play it, I actually really enjoy it. Um, would I rather? I'd probably rather play this. Um, I think Normandy 44 has more satisfactory combat. Even with my biggest complaint with Normandy 44 is every combat comes down to the same odds, or it's really hard to get off those one to one odds. So usually you're on yeah, three to one after you I haven't call played shifts. Normandy 44, but don't they have like maximum odds in that one? Like, like you could bring your whole army and you're still only going to get a certain odds or something. Um, the deal is you're capped at 18 strength points. Yeah. And with the terrain effects in Normandy 44, it's really easy to get to 11 strength on defense. Yeah. And so you're almost always going to hit that one to one and then just, usually depend on like an armor shift or air or naval to get you to three to one. And so a lot of times all your combat's going to feel the same. Um, but then combat here isn't really much to write home about either. Yeah. But on this mm. one, it's on a, on a strategic level game. Combat is always going to be super abstract. Whereas Normandy 44, obviously zoomed in more you would expect more from the combat you would expect That's to at least be able to get like some flanking bonuses and stuff like that which in this That's one, true and that's a good point yeah but that doesn't mean like i love the combat in u.s civil war it's really straightforward but for whatever reason i find it really satisfying um but i guess that's more of just getting to the combat that I find satisfying. You're probably right. I'd probably put this above Normandy 44. Um, I don't think Normandy 44 is the best in that series. Well, yeah. you've okay. already got Stalingrad 42 above it, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Stalingrad so good. So good. Okay, I'm going to put Axis Empires to Krieg 
at number 11 unless you uh, have an objection, which is below Blitzkrieg Legend. No, that that feels about right. I mean, I haven't played Blitzkrieg Legend. Like I said, I've read the OCS rules, and I think I've got a little bit of an idea of how they go. And Yeah, I'm starting to... It, it's, it sounds like your experience with this one... When I played Unconditional Surrender, the experience of playing it was amazing, and it was one of my favorite games that I ever played. Um, but now that I haven't played it for a while and I've played some other things, I'm less likely to want to go back and play it again. Yeah, so I will I think play it fair. again, but I'm not chomping the bit to do so. So it was a good, yeah. it was a good game, but I don't think it was it's as good as I thought it was when I was playing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that's that's probably true of me with most things. Like when I'm in it, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> "Well, this is the best thing I ever played," and then I cool off for a little bit. Now, I want to be real. This is a great game. I mean, coming in at number eleven, like sounds low because we've only ranked twenty three games. But from fourteen and up, well, probably thirteen and up. I don't know how good Operation Pegasus really is. Thirteen and up is S- thirteen as SPQR, and then I mean, you hit Battle Him at number eight, which is a personal favorite one of mine i think there's better games sure so coming in at number 11 is no knock against it it's still a very good game um but also i think once you've kind of seen its tricks you don't need to come back to it so much like yeah it's cool to say like man what if uh finland you know came in with the west yeah that's cool but i don't know if you need to drag the whole thing out to really see like is that really going to make that much of a difference probably not it's just a cool cool question to ask. so i'm good with it at number 11 yeah i found that on unconditional surrender europe the politics stuff was interesting but for the most part it didn't matter that much because often what would happen is so say you're say you're playing germany and you're fighting against russia and you'd love to get turkey in the war so you can get some troops on their southern border because you know what russia's got no troops on their southern border but as soon as you activate turkey bang, Russia has troops appear on their southern border. They get them for free. So a lot of it is like, okay, well, I just activated another front, but that front is not helping me all that much. So the politics was interesting, but it wasn't, it didn't change things radically. So that's not necessarily the case here. I mean, you're not, nothing's going to be automatic. There are, each side has certain conditional events. Like as soon as Germany steps foot in France, that triggers some more reinforcements. But like I said, there's about three of those events for each side. And something like Turkey coming into the war certainly isn't one of them that triggers it. Um, so good stuff. I still obviously recommend it. If you're waiting for the uh, expanded edition, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. Um, but if you want to give this series a try, I think this is a nice time to jump in because I think people will be offloading their copies uh, to buy that expanded edition. Okay, uh, let's see what else is going on. Anything uh, that you want to talk about that's not related to war games or history, general shenanigans? Started playing Call of Cthulhu with my daughters. I've got a ah. 10-year-old and a 19-year-old that are the 19-year-old's home for summer for, for college. and um, she's I've played RPGs with her before. I've played them with the 10-year-old also, never this one, but it's kind of cool. I like the system. Um, it's a pretty cool system. Maybe not the best for what we want to do, but what I like is I can I can tune down the you know the goriness and the scariness and 
Um, I can play, you know, interesting sort of paranormal adventures without having like people being decapitated and stuff like that. So nice. Yeah. That's what I knew you were considering one, and you won't yeah. call Cthulhu. I thought about trying something like Kids on Bikes or Tales from the Loop, which I uh-huh. think would be good sort of mystery settings. But in the end, I know Call of Cthulhu already, and um, right, it just seemed like a good fit. Nice. Yeah, I've been deep in the. Uh... The RPG stuff, I keep talking about it, but I did, I introduced some, um, some real life friends, not just like war game and RPG friends, uh, to Dungeons and Dragons. And it was just kind of like one guy I thought for sure, like he was going to get into it hard. And another guy, like I was pretty sure he was. And then we really wanted a third and he's a good friend of mine. I was like, this is not going to be his cup of tea, but I'll invite him. And that first session he bought in completely. They're all in. Um, and they, they've really taken it and ran and they, they got to like their first warehouse and instead of like even trying to sneak inside, they're like, all right, let's, let's pound on the doors and see if anyone's home. And so like, obviously the bad guys who were inside hid and they walk <laughs> in, they don't, they don't do anything strategic. And I feel bad cause they're all learning, which is fine. I mean, you gotta learn one way or another. And like, here we go. Their first like real showdown and one guy gets one shot. Like they're still level <laughs> one and the bad guys crit. And I was like, Oh man. But I was like, well now, you know, instead of like pounding on the door, like, Hey, we want to talk to you. And then they like kick the door in and like, had no sh- strategy in going to this building like well now you know what uh what module or adventure are you playing uh we're doing uh water deep dragon heist oh okay okay and then once they're which takes it's a long deal like there's a lot to it but it's only level one through five and then if they stick with it at that point um i'm gonna open it up to them you can go to there's a follow-up adventure the dungeon of the mad king or it's called something like that um yeah i know which one you mean mad right and i'm either yeah, yeah, and they can either, I'll give them the option of, like, going there or going off on their own sandboxy adventure, but um, I definitely wanted to keep them on rails a little bit uh, this time. Although one guy did, the, the you know, like, the one guy who I didn't think was going to buy in, um, he's like, guys, we don't have to, like, interact with everything that Matt throws at us. Because, like, like, they're walking down the alleys, and it's like, oh, and you pass this shop, and it's decorated with purple, and this purple mist uh, is floating out from the stop and all that stuff. And then they walk back, they walk past, and then, like, one of them stops and is like, I think I want to go to that shop. And so they go in, and then we have this whole – but it, it made me laugh when one of them was like, we don't have to interact with everything. <laughs> it's like, that's right. Yeah. You don't have to. That's the fun of being a DM, though, is that you get to – I mean, you can make up – just literally make up on the fly some random detail, and the players will just fixate on it. And in a way, it's frustrating because you're like, well, crap, now they're off the main story, and I have to continue. It's almost like <laughs> it's almost like when you tell a lie and someone asks you for a detail of a lie, and you have to make up yep. another lie to go with it, but you're doing this for the players. <laughs> Absolutely. It's too true. Um yeah, and then, like, I mean, sometimes you hand wave that stuff, like, yeah. if they get focused on something, but it's always funny when they're, like, uh, if you go listen to um, the latest adventure of Trigonov's Justice, which is our alien campaign, like, I had this beautiful roadmap of, like, all right, here's different ways I can see them going, and if they go this way, 
and like I want to I want to tie this event in somehow like depending where they go this way this way here's how it pops up and all this like great planning that I've done and this great flowchart and then they focus on like 45 minutes of like how are they going to negotiate with this guy and it's like wow you guys are like and it's great it worked out I think it was interesting for them. It's like you guys are way overvaluing the importance of this yeah like cargo hauler um and then they come up with this plan and then one of the characters like butted in and destroyed their plans like right off the go i was like i'm glad we it was it was entertaining but i'm I'm glad we spent 30 minutes planning on how to talk to this guy but it's funny that's what makes it interesting is where the story's going i mean if if that stuff didn't happen then you would just be telling a a story to your players but uh, having that story uh, evolve and with their input is what makes it fun. I'm really enjoying RPGs a lot. I've got way too many on my plate right now. Um, I was gonna do a Hellboy inspired uh, RPG using jerps, and I I, I canceled that to kind of get <laughs> uh, a few things wrangled in. And we still have Witchburner, which I've got to get uh, rescheduled. Which were we you and I played the second session yeah. of that uh, with Jeff. And I saw and that dropped uh, on the on the Podbean page too, so I need to listen to that one. Yeah, such great characters there. And the Cabal yeah, RPGs—they got so much out there right now. Yeah, the Alcoholic Adventure Cabal, the RPG side of the AAC, um, he's been putting out Monday through Friday an episode a day. Wow! It's and it's all over the place. I mean, you got there, and from what I hear, he's got he's got a lot of back row too, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure he does. Um, there's D&D 5th edition stuff, there's um, the Alien RPG, One Ring, There's so there's like fantasy, there's sci-fi, there's cyberpunk, we're starting a teen sleuth uh, treasure hunt with OBX, there's Wraith, we're playing in this Wraith the Oblivion game, which is this bonkers ass game that takes place in like uh, your dead characters, you also play like the shadow version of each other and you weigh this deal like your goal is to drive the other player that you're the shadow version of to oblivion but you don't want to be a dick about it (laughs) and so like you you weigh this thing of like when do you fuck with that player and you have a goal of like you're not just going to go jump into the oblivion pit like you need to drive that character to ruin first and it's like what a dark fucking game but it's it's super interesting. I think if the characters buy in, it's going to be really rewarding. So, yeah, RPGs are great. I'm going to scrap history on the table and do <laughs> dungeons, dragons on the table or something. I guess I don't know. Alternate uh, history. I, alternate history. Of yeah, dragons. there you go. Alternate history on the table. Uh, speaking of that, we have designers on the mic coming up. I'll leave that as a surprise. But um, I reached out to someone at the beginning of coronavirus. And I was like, hey, I'm going to have a lot of time. Why don't we get something scheduled? I, I'd really like to bring you guys on. And then I was just like, all that free time I thought I had. Nope. They were super busy at work. So, But I did send some dates out, so we'll get something recorded. And we'll have our second designers on the mic uh, out to you soon. A twofer. I've been, yeah, twofer, exactly. And then I had one more in the works that I need to kind of way before coronavirus. So I was really excited about because it wasn't a... Uh, they're not like a known publisher and they're using their game for something pretty cool. So I need to follow up with them to, to see if we can get them on. Um, so other things, I've got a, a couple books that I'm really enjoying. Um, one's called the way of shadows by Brent weeks. 
Have you read any of his stuff? No, I've not. So he's a pretty popular fantasy author, I think. I've had some of his books on my shelf for a long time, and then oh, there was some conversation a few days ago about like what's your favorite fantasy books of all time. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to go read some of these things that I have on my shelf. So I just looked at something, and this one jumped out at me. It's it's pretty good. It's um like I'm not really into like dark assassin stuff, and this is a book about assassins, but it's pretty good. It's called yeah, the way the way of shadows. I think the audiobook versions are on Hoopla, if your library offers that, Hoopla Digital. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure they're on there. And then I have a guilty pleasure with the Raven Cycle books. They're by Maggie Stiefvater or something like that. And if you go look at the Goodreads page, they're like tagged as young adult. The description's not very good, but everything I heard about these were like, don't judge these books on the cover because they kind of look like a Hunger Games cover or a like that type of young adult cover. But right. everyone's like, no, give these books a shot. And I did because Will Patton narrates them. Do you know who Will Patton is? Uh, he's seems the like I know the coach. He's the coach from Remember the Titans. Oh, okay. okay. And he's an Armageddon. Uh, he is a great fucking audiobook narrator, like top notch. He does a lot of Stephen King's books, like his most recent stuff with um, that uh, kind of weird uh, serial killer trilogy he did recently. I haven't read anything by Stephen uh, King in a long time. It's I read the first book. I need to go back to it. The first book was called Mr. Mercedes, and I couldn't put it down. Um, so he narrates those books, and he narrates a whole bunch of stuff, but these this is the second book i'm reading the dream thieves um really good it's all about like these uh ley lines and weird psychic powers and finding this ancient uh lost king in virginia and uh it's good but like you go look at it and it's like oh young adult fantasy it's not for me but man don't don't knock this book that series really uh, continues to impress. Highly recommend it, especially if you're an audiobook listener. Will Patton kills it on his audiobooks. Cool. And Mr. Mercedes, Mr. Mercedes is good too. Uh, it's kind of fucked up, um, but he narrates that as well. Mm. About you, any any fantasy or sci-fi stuff you've been reading? Yeah, my wife and I are reading a book together called Dodger by Terry Pratchett. Have you read that one? Uh, is that part of Discworld? No, it's not part of Discworld. It's totally separate. It's um, huh. how do you describe it? I mean, it's 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 like a kind of a cute little funny adventure book about this kid in the uh, I want to say like 1850s England or something like that. Um, he lives in the sewers and he just like hunts for treasures and stuff. But and he comes comes up on the surface and rescues this girl that got beaten and all this stuff starts happening to him and it becomes like a rags to riches thing and. It's almost like it kind of reminds me of um, of uh, Forrest Gump because there's like hmm. all these silly little references where he meets all these famous people and he meets like the Barber Seville and um, and uh, wait it, that's the the murderer right Barber no no that's the opera one uh, what's the uh, who's who's the you... the barber that murders people Sweeney Todd Sweeney Todd yes he meets Sweeney Todd and and uh, Oh, who else is there? There's like all these sort of like mid 19th century pop culture references, if you want to call it that. But huh. it's pretty entertaining. It's it's very lighthearted and it's it's just kind of a fun read. 
And then we're also he wrote listening. that late in life. I don't know. Did he? 2012. Yeah. I don't know much about it. My wife I mean, for has him, actually that's read recent. it before, and she recommended it, so we're, we're reading it together. And so then, when you say read it, hold on, hold on, before you go, so when you say read it together, do you guys listen together? Yes, we're listening to this one okay. on Hoopla. Sometimes we'll actually read a book to each other, but right now we're listening to this one on Hoopla. Nice. And then that's also cool. on Audible, um, we're listening to Heroes, which is written and uh, written and read by, how am I forgetting his name? Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry, yes. Stephen Fry, who's just got the most amazing voice. But we did um, Mythos, I think it was called, before, which is a book he wrote and read on Greek mythology, and this is kind of the sequel to that. So very entertaining, very (laughs) explicit sometimes. It's hilarious. I mean, because some of the Greek mythology is just bizarre, you know. Like Sure. And Stephen Fry loves to go into great detail about his blood and semen mixed on the ground to produce Aphrodite. And <laughs> oh, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> so, nice. yeah. yeah. Heroes and Dodger are the two we're listening to right now. Nice. I started, um, one of my favorite TV shows of all time is Twin Peaks. And when the new stuff came out, I was ecstatic, but I'm like, I'm going to rewatch it. And then I never did. So I haven't watched any of the new Twin Peaks stuff. So I'm, I'm rewatching that. And then I've been under the weather the last couple of days. So I've been like deep into it because I've been self isolating. So I've yeah. been around the family. So I just like, I've watched, I watched Twin Peaks and, uh, it's really good to go back to it. Have you ever watched that show? I have not. I haven't been watching much TV lately. What I really want to watch is I think the next season of, uh, Better Call Saul on Netflix. I haven't seen the latest season on Netflix, so that's probably be the next thing yeah, I watch. We loved Breaking Bad, but uh, I just never gave Better Call Saul a shot. I never Sometime gave it a shot either, sure. but it's really good. I was, yeah, I kind of thought it was gonna not sort of be like uh, silly, and it's not. I mean, it's 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 not the same as Breaking Bad, but it's similar in depth. I guess I don't. Know. It's good. I like it. But yeah, I'm, I'll get to it eventually. I mean, I don't even know what season is out on real TV. Maybe five, maybe six. I have no idea. But I think four is out on Netflix now. And so I'm I'm at least a season behind on Netflix. But like I said, Too I haven't been watching that much. And there's so many things. Like a long time ago, I saw a comic posted on the internet about like that basically was just commenting that you can't like there's no more TV show water cooler talk because there's so many things that uh, people are watching. And so people aren't watching this, the same thing, yeah. you know, game of Thrones though. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's off the air now, but when game of Thrones was out, sure. That was, that's the last show that I can remember that literally Tiger King. that's all people talk. Even Tiger King, people like sort a week. of joke about it and reference it, but game of Thrones came out every week. Tiger King, some people would binge, some people will watch later. I think that's why is because it's Netflix versus a released show. Yeah, and then Tiger King, like after two weeks, yeah. is gone. Like no one talks about yeah. Tiger King anymore. Maybe Mandalorian because that one was released week by week. Oh, that was cool. Yeah. That was cool. That's coming back. Yeah, nice. Um, okay, you got anything else? No, it's your first Father's Day this weekend. You got any big plans? Hey, well, before I got sick, I did. So I took a. <laughs> I took a test today. I, I don't think I do, but it's like 
as I was telling you before we started recording, every symptom of coronavirus is the symptom of like anything else. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, how the hell do you know what's wrong with you? So like, um, we have free testing here now. So I went and just did it to be sure. But it's like two to four days to get the results, mm-hmm. which I get it. There's a lot of demand for it right now, but it's like. Uh, I guess I'll just stick to myself. Uh, the good news is we we kind of celebrated Father's Day early. Um, so we were going to uh, grill out and we kind of redid our back porch, or my wife did, as a Father's Day gift. And so we were just going to enjoy that uh, so we can postpone that. What about you? Any plans? Uh, nothing big. I'm going to play some games with my daughters, the two that are still living with me. So. Hey, that's, uh, that's that sounds like a good Father's Day to yeah. me. All right, so then. when your little uh, one we'll... is old enough to start playing RPGs, look up Hero Kids. It's really good. Okay, Hero yeah. Kids. Will do. Yeah, I've got her. Uh, I really hope she likes games and RPGs. Yeah. Or... It's actually fun playing RPGs with like four or five-year-old because, well, first of all, you don't have to plan anything at all. Basically, you just let them tell you a story and you roll the dice every yeah. once in a while. And you'll just they'll come up with the funniest things. And it's awesome. Those uh, that reminds me of like there's the story cubes and then I've seen a pack of cards where yeah. like it's a random result and you tell a story and we were doing it with yeah. uh, a friend's kid one time and he's like every time she does this it's it's a birthday party and sure <laughs> enough she started and it like turned into a birthday party and yeah those are fun I I look forward to doing that with uh, with our kid when she's older getting those little story cubes with the cards I think it's great for kids. Okay, uh, that's going to do it for us. We may be back um, sooner rather than later, just depending on the date we lock down for the next designers on the mic. If not, we should be back in July. Maybe, gosh, we'll probably be talking about next war, I bet. Yeah, I would think so. Just seems Especially logical, right? I mean, together. Maybe I'll get enough Empire yeah. of the Sun in by then that I can talk more about that too. Yeah. Oh, oh. It'll be a lot of, do a lot of Pacific stuff because we're playing Korea. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to be good stuff. So, uh, yeah, hopefully back before too long. Um, comments, questions, send us an email, historytablepodcast.gmail.com. I'm at historytablepod on Twitter. Trippier Perfect. All right. Thanks, Rich. We'll talk to everyone later. Good night.